All right. Um, good evening. It is great to be back for uh, these monthly uh, you know, Sikha sessions. Do we have a name for it? Mm. Yeah, I was just about to say that. <laughs> Very fancy. That is super, Rabbi, that no, is super fancy. Rabbi Jacobson of Atlanta. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we already have a Rabbi Jacobson. That's awkward. That's awkward because I thought... <laughs> so I was going to say that's awkward because I thought he was called the Rabbi Solish of New York. <laughs> but, I, but, I, but I hear you. Okay, hey, good evening. Um, okay, so let's, let's jump in. So tonight the focus is on Bitachin, which I know is a subject that, uh, that Atlanta has not yet covered at all. Um, it's, not a, it's not at all a thing that anyone has uh, thought about or focused on. No, but in all seriousness, it's a, I think it's a topic. It's not a topic. It's a, it's a reality of life that is so important always and I think is extremely important. Um, now, with what's going on in Israel, um, when we think about the safety and security of our people, of the land, of the hostages, of the families that have experienced just tremendous loss and tremendous devastation. And we think about, you know, is this, how is this going to end? Is it going to be good? How is it going to, are the hostages going to be found? And it's easy to get in, in a very negative space, right? It's easy to become, um, I don't know what the right word is, um, not cynical, but it's easy to become negative and pessimistic, and um, especially when you think about the, you know, the, uh, it depends on which, which circles you're dabbling in social media, but in a lot of circles, you know, we're taking a lot of hits and there's a lot of stuff that's going on in the U.S. and in other countries and in Russia and in France and in England and in, on college campuses that are very negative. And um, more than ever, I think that Bitochen is a major piece of the equation to remain confident, and we'll see tonight uh, a very unique take on Bitachin. So by raise of hands, um, who is part of the Shar Bitachin class? Okay. I don't know of it. So <laughs> the only reason I'm asking that is, so let me just get a quick a quick sense. I, for those that, that are part of it or, or have been part of it or have studied Shar Bitachin or have heard of Shar Bitachin, there's a lot of conversation, there's a lot of insight into Bitachin um, that is emanating, I think, um, the author of Cheva Salavavis lived, what, 800 years ago? A thousand years ago? Right. This is old school Bitachin, like classic, <laughs> OG, like Bitachin wisdom. So you might think to yourself, like, what could the Rebbe add to Bitachin that's not already there? Literally, there's a book called Shara Bitachin, right? Or a part of a book that's now become a book unto itself. Shara Bitachin. It's like the gate of trust. So, Wait, so can, what do you mean part of a book that's now become... Chavis, the whole book is called Chavis Alvavis, which deals with lots of basically like what, like internal obligations that we have, like, you know, things that, to believe in and whatever. <clears throat> One of them is Bitachin. So it's part of a book, but now they've published a book just isolating that one chapter, or not chapter, that one section, as a book unto itself. It's all semantics, but the point is that, you know, there's a whole series of conversation on Bitachin, so what could the Rebbe add? And here we have a Sicha that is incredible, that speaks about Bitachin, speaks about Emunah versus Bitachin, and really, I think, adds a lot to the conversation. So whether you've never studied Shara Bitachin before, or you have, 
or you have studied it now for a second time or are studying it a second time, I think the Sicha will share a lot of, a lot of insight. But first, a story. <laughs> What's the difference between Amuna and Bitachin? So there's a great story that, I've, that I once heard about a tightrope walker. Have you guys heard the story about the tightrope walker? Huh? Which one? How many stories are the type? Of, <laughs> no, Mendel Futterfass with the type. Not that one. <laughs> That's a read that right. Uh, no, not that one. That's uh, no, not that one. That's the classic one. So here we go. Good. Whew. We got it all clear for a news story, perhaps. So there's a tightrope walker, and he's got his tightrope in between, like over Niagara Falls, right? One side, Canada. One side, the U.S. Is that how that works? Maybe, huh? Yeah. Yeah? Sort of? Yeah. And he's going across. Anyone from Toronto? Toronto. There you go. So all Niagara Falls questions? <laughs> Good. So he's up there, and a crowd assembles. I mean, this is a bigger crowd than the guy who goes down in a barrel. I mean, this is like the big, you know, some guys walking back and forth. So he, he huh? Only one person went down in a row? No, there's got to be more than The barrel was, okay, all right. So anyway, this guy, or a woman, I don't know, is walking on, is, is up there, and he says to the assembled crowd, do you think, do you believe that I can walk across Niagara Falls on this rope? And everyone says, yes, we believe, we believe, and he does it. <coughs> Second pass, he says, do you believe that I can walk across Niagara Falls while juggling? You're on the tightrope while juggling, uh, I don't know, fire. They say, yes, we believe, and he does it. Do you believe that I can do it while juggling, I don't know, bowling balls? Yes, and he does it. Do you believe that I can walk across the tightrope over Niagara Falls pushing a wheelbarrow? Yes, we believe it. You think I, do you believe that I can walk across that? This is getting very long, but we're going to cut this short very soon. Do you believe I can walk across Niagara Falls with someone in a wheelbarrow? Yes, we believe. Any volunteers? Quiet. There's a difference between belief and trust. Belief is, I believe you can do it. Trust is, I trust that you will do it. Two completely different worlds. Emunah is, I believe that Hashem can do anything. That's the God that I believe in. But do I trust that God will do this? Do I trust that Hashem will come through? That's bitach. So that's a bit of an opening salvo, an opening shot into Emunah and bitachin. We're going to study tonight a sicha that came out 12 days before the Gulf War in 1991. How many years ago was that? 32. Oh, there you go. All right. Well, I remember it well. All right, 1991, the Gulf War broke out. It broke out January 16th, 1991. Yes, I had to look that up before the class. The sicha was published. For Sh- this sicha was published, Shabbos Parshas Shmois in Tavshin Nunalif, 1990. Um, uh, Tavshin Nun... No, 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 so it would have been. Um, I, do I have the years wrong? No, 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 I'm sorry. No, no, Tavshin Correct. Right, because it's after, yes. Yeah, Tavshin 
And um, the Sicha came out. So Shabbos, Parsha Shmais, was the 5th of January. So it probably came out the day before the 4th of January, which would have made it 12 days, exactly 12 days before the Gulf War. And it talks about Bitochen in an incredible way. So without further ado, let's jump in. Um, we're gonna, I'm going to try to aim. I know we started a little bit later. My aim is to cover most of it inside because it's really beautiful and it's really rich. We're going to start. Oh, is this house haunted? Is that what we're discovering? How, how totally awkward. Oh, no, no, no. I always assume everyone's always taking notes. And no matter what I say, it's like they're taking notes. They're taking, no, I'm kidding. I, yes. I figured, I figured. Because it was right when I was about to drop like a like a, one of those good ideas, and you pull out your phone, I'm like, there's no way. Not now, at this moment. Okay, we're going to jump in. The way I want to start the Sicha is by kind of paraphrasing Ice Aleph, and then we're going to jump into Ice Base. Now, just just as a quick note, as we get started, I, I had, I mean, for whatever reason, I had a question about how to print this best. You know, whether we should bind it on the right and have it read Hebrew or the left. Since it's it's from an English version, I, I was able to find an English version of the Sicha. And I figured, hey, it's, we'll study it in Hebrew, in the original. Um, but it's good to have the English there, just to have. Um, so, but I did it like in English, so it's going to read left to right. But of course, we're going to be focused on the Hebrew. I want to begin by summarizing Aisalaf. We're going to do this outside. We were absolutely waiting for you, yeah. So let's summarize. All right, um, <coughs> let's summarize Ice Aleph, and then we're gonna then we're gonna get in. The Torah in discussing Moshe Rabbeinu's origin story, the Torah says three stories that happen as his coming of age stories. Story number one, and you guys know these stories. Story number one is there's a mystery. There's an Egyptian beating up a Jew. What does Moshe Rabbeinu do? Help me out. Help me out. Help me out. Kills the Egyptian. Right, he looks around, there's no one around, kills the Egyptian, buries him under the sand, day one. Day two, he goes out again, checking in on what's going on, and he sees, what does he see the second day? Jew on Jew. So there's Egyptian on Jew violence, the next day he sees Jew on Jew violence, right? And he says to one guy, Rasha Lamasak Esreyecha, why are you hitting your evil one, why are you hitting your friend? And what does the guy say to him? Yeah, you're going to kill me like you killed the guy yesterday? What does Moshe do? Torah says, Moshe became afraid. And he says the words, Indeed, the matter has become known. All right, third story is, well, and soon after that, Paroi hears about this. He wants to kill Moshe Rabbeinu because he realizes that he's flipped now to the other side, to the dark side, i.e. the Jewish side. It's not the dark side, but in his mind, he's flipped. And uh, Moshe runs away to Midian, and as soon as he approaches Midian, what happens? What does he encounter? He encounters non-Jew on non-Jew violence. You with me on this? Story number one is non-Jew on Jew. Story number two is Jew on Jew. Story number three is non-Jew on non-Jew. And in all three instances... 40 years later. What? Between Moshe leaving the time and getting to Midian, he was king in Ethiopia for 40 years. Right. Just a little little detour. A little But the Torah cuts that out. But it's if you, actually wild that whole The Ethiopia thing. Look, the way the Torah compresses the story, it's literally back to back. One, 
to three stories. And there's a, there's a fascinating thing. No matter what the conflict, he inserts himself into the conflict. <laughs> no, in a good way, right? Like there's, there's an issue going on, he steps up. He says, I'm not going to turn a blind eye. It's not my fight. It's not my issue. Who am I to get involved? He inserts himself in all three stories. He steps up. Powerful idea. You know, you, we wonder like what makes Moshe Rabbeinu Moshe Rabbeinu, like why was he chosen to be the leader? Here's the guy who took responsibility, who stepped up when he saw injustice happening. That itself is a lesson. But getting back to the second story, when he sees the Jew uh, hitting the other Jew, and he says, Rasha, Lama, Saka, Sreyecha, evil one, why are you hitting your friend? And the guy says, are you going to kill me like you killed the Mitzri? And he's, he becomes afraid. That the language of the Torah is, Vayira um, Moshe, Moshe became afraid. And he said, indeed the matter has been known. So, as the Rebbe quotes here in the beginning, again, we're doing this outside, Rashi gives two explanations on the words, Vayira Moshe, that Moshe became afraid. He says, number one, Ke Pshutai. Number one, first explanation is, literally, why was Moshe afraid? Okay, let, before we get to Rashi, why do you think Moshe was afraid? When, when he heard the Jews saying, are you going to kill me like you killed the Egyptian? Why was he afraid? Secrets out. And what's he afraid of? Power finding out. And? Wanting to kill him, getting in trouble, which is exactly what happened. So the simple explanation is that the moment, because the day before when he killed the Egyptian, he looked around, he didn't see anybody. Now that the story's leaked, who knows how, Moshe becomes afraid. Why? On a simple level, because Power is going to find out he's going to want to kill him, he's going to have to run away, he'll have to become a king in Ethiopia, and then he'll have to go to Midian, whatever it is, he's going to have to do this, and that is a drag. So therefore, he's afraid. No one saw? No one knew this story? Apparently they did. They did he looked around. He saw, he saw that he ain't ish, that there was no man around. And he killed him. But apparently somebody was watching. Somehow the matter became known. Because he was related. Like, isn't it the Mitzvah that wanted to sleep with uh, one, one of Dasana Abiram's wife? Ah, uh, there's, some, there's some backstory, some... There's some situation of who it was. They informed that. Right. Because they were the ones that were fighting. They were the ones that were fighting. But I think it's somebody else who the Mitzri... Right. There was a different... No, it was. It was one of them? Okay. All right. Now, so let's get back to, let's get back to this idea. Rashi gives a second interpretation. And he says, uh, the Midrashic explanation is, he became afraid, not for his own safety, but he became afraid. Vayir Moshe, Moshe became afraid. What was the fear? He said, ay, 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 now I see why the Jews are stuck in exile. Why? Because they're fighting with each other. Mm. Right? I walk outside today. Mele, mm. an Egyptian beating up a Jew. Not that it's justified. Not that it's good. Not that I didn't kill the Egyptian. But I understand. He's an anti-Semite. But a Jew beating up another Jew. There's no excuse. I've been wondering all this time. Why are they in an exile? He says, oh, now I'm afraid that they're going to be stuck here forever. Why? Because they can't get along. He wasn't afraid of Tara? He Do you know what got us into, into, uh, into Mitzrayim? <laughs> a bro- brother's hating a brother. How did, they, how did we get to in Mitzrayim? Yosef came down, and then everyone else came down. How did Yosef get down to Mitzrayim? Because the brothers wanted to kill him. They sold him as a slave. In other words, broken family leads to exile. Right, and what's the fir- what's the thing that what's the last thing that happens in Mitzrayim before before you see us Mitzrayim? Carbon Pesach, the Last Supper. I'm kidding, the last meal, right? <laughs> and what happens at that meal? In halacha, they had to eat it together as a family. 
They had to be, families had to eat it together. So broken families create uh, um, the existence of gullus, and healed families uh, create the existence, the reality of Gula. That's, that's clear in the story. So Moshe Ben receives a Jew beating up another Jew. He says, Vayira Moshe, becomes afraid. This is what's going on. Now I know. Not now Pari is going to know. He says, now I know why Gullus. That's the Midrashic interpretation. And the Rebbe says, the Midrashic interpretation, which is not literal, um, explains why the Torah adds this. Because why else do we need to know about the psychology of Moshe Rabbeinu, that he became afraid? Why is that relevant? But if we say that the Torah is telling us that he became afraid uh, in order to substantiate his understanding of why they were in Gullus, then the Torah is adding an insight into this situation, into the reality of Gullus and why they were stuck, because they weren't getting along. So that's, but just to say, like the simple explanation that Moshe was afraid and he feared for his life, why would the Torah have to add that? So the Rebbe says, let's, uh, let's explain that. Let's answer that question. Why the Torah would tell us that Moshe became afraid, even though there seems to be no um, outcome from that. Let me just explain that. When, when reading it simply, Moshe became afraid because he realized the information was leaked, the first explanation, and now he's afraid for his life. So what does he do? Nothing. He only runs away once he knows power found out. But not when he's afraid. He doesn't preemptively flee Mitzrayim. He only leaves once he actually gets that feedback that Parah found out. So the point that the Rebbe is addressing in Aleph is a simple question. Why does the Torah, in the simple explanation, why does the Torah tell us about the emotional state of Moshe Rabbeinu? The Torah doesn't tell us every time someone's afraid. Every time, unless, it's, unless there's a lesson, why would the Torah tell us that Moshe was afraid at that moment? To tell us that he ran away once Pyro wanted to kill him. All right, we have to know how he meets his wife, right? How does he get to Midjah? But to tell us that he was afraid for no reason seems to be superfluous. So what is the lesson there? So I want to pick it up uh, with Ice Base on page five. And here, um, the Rebbe states a lesson, begins developing this idea. Vihine. Kevin she'em I'm going to skip the parentheses. Alkain Sarach Leimar, since uh, the Apasuk, <coughs> excuse me, always retains its simple meaning. Alkain Sarach Leimar, Shagamlafi, Pirisha Pasha, Bavir Moshe, Shahaya Yari Lenavshay, even according to the simple explanation that he was, uh, of the Pasuk that says that Moshe was afraid, that means that he was afraid for his own life. Because the matter became known that he killed the Egyptian. We can give an explanation. A rationale as to why the Torah needs to tell us this. Why is the Torah entering into the, psych- the psyche, the inner emotional state of Moshe Rabbeinu, why do we need to know that, that he was afraid? You tell me the next day he ran away, great. Why are you tell me he's afraid today? So to understand this, we need to first preface, this is incredible, what he's about to say. The words of the Medrash, the title of today's uh, session is No Fear. And so here we have a pasuk that talks about the fear of Yaakov. It says that Yaakov was very afraid by Yitzhak and he was very distressed. He was afraid and he was distressed. By the way, according to the commentaries, there's two emotions that Yaakov was experiencing, fear and stress. Those are two different emotions. Why was he afraid? According to one commentary, he was afraid because maybe he would be killed. Oh, sorry, this was shortly before his encounter with his twin brother, Esau. 
right? After 20 plus years of separation, he was heading back home. Um, Esav was approaching him with 400 men. Esav was coming with 400 men. No, this is uh, 6th Torah Avenue. There you go. All right, so back to the story. So Yaakov is Vayira Yaakov. Um, Yaakov is very afraid of Yitzhak. He was afraid maybe he'll be killed and he was distressed. Maybe he would have to kill either way. He's afraid. So here we go. Here's the Medrash. Rabbi Pinchas B'Shem, Rabbi Ruvain says the following. There were two individuals that Hashem promised. You have nothing to fear. And yet, and yet, they were afraid. The choicest of the Avais, and the choicest of the Nevi'im, the greatest of our patriarchs and the greatest of the prophets, they both were given assurances from God and they still were afraid. What are these two stories? The chosen of the Avais, Hashem said, I will be with you. And nonetheless, the end of the story is afraid. When he first departs from home, remember he had the dream, the ladder, right? The whole Yaakov's dream. Hashem says, you have nothing to worry about. I'll be with you. And yet, as the story comes full circle, when he finally reunites with his, is preparing to, reun- to meet his brother again after all these years, after two decades, he's afraid. Even despite Hashem's promise, he's afraid. And that shows that he's very human. Like, one, so one, so we're going to have two analyses of this. One second, good. What about the chosen of the Nevi'im, the greatest of the greatest Navi? When Hashem first chose him as the leader by the burning bush, by the snat, he says, don't worry. Moshe is trying to get out of it. He's like, I don't know. I'm not the right guy. What's going to happen? Hashem says, I'll be with you. Nothing to worry about. For the duration of your leadership, I will be with you. But at the end, he was afraid. But when it came to the Muhammad, to the war with Aig, Aig, the friendly, not friendly giant. So what does Hashem say to Moshe? Don't be afraid. You only tell someone not to be afraid if they're afraid. Right? You don't tell someone who's not afraid, don't be afraid. So the fact that Hashem has to tell Moshe, don't be afraid, means he's afraid. Even though Hashem had promised him from the beginning, from the first time they spoke, Hashem had said, I will be with you. In other words, for the rest of you, as long as you're in my, uh, my employ, you have nothing to worry about. Moshe's afraid. So the measures are pointing out, two people were given, the two greatest you know, two of the greatest people to ever, Jews to ever live, they were promised and they were still afraid. Now, let's pause here for a moment. Do you think the Medrash is saying, learn from this or don't learn from this? And the commentaries of the Medrash dispute the intention of, of this statement. There's some of Farshim that say, you should learn from this. This is their praise. Even though they <coughs> they were promised uh, from Hashem that they'll be taken care of, they still didn't rely on this. They were concerned that maybe they sinned and they would not be worthy of the blessing. In other words, what's the lesson you learn from this? Help me out. Humility. humility. Exactly, humility. Even though you have Hashem's promise, Nonetheless, who are you? Maybe you don't deserve it. So they were humble. So that's the lesson we could learn. Even Moshe Rabbeinu, even Yaakov Avinu, they were so humble that they thought maybe they're not worthy. However, there are others. That the Medjah is telling us what not to do. Lirai. 
They should have not been afraid. Their heart should have been strong with, with, uh, with Bitochen. Trust in Hashem. Skipping the brackets. So two completely different ways to read the Medrash. The Medrash is telling us a fact. Two people were promised that they'll be okay and they were still afraid. Is that a, is that a, a lesson to learn or a lesson not to learn? Do we learn from this behavior or don't learn from this behavior? Some say we should learn. We should learn the, the, the idea of being humble and not being so sure of yourself that you'll be protected. Some say, no, it was wrong. They should have had that assurance. They should have had that trust and we should not learn from them. Let's continue. We need to analyze those commentaries that say we should not learn from Yaakov and Moshe. What's, what's, what's wrong with the first approach? In other words, the first approach seems to be accurate. Even though Yaakov was promised 20 years before, Hashem said, I will be with you, Yaakov is still afraid. Because 20 years later, who says he's still deserving? Maybe he's not deserving. Why should he be so sure that no bad is going to happen? Maybe something bad is going to happen. Not that Hashem can't do it, but maybe he doesn't deserve it. Why is that incorrect? If I understand, Bitochen doesn't mean you're going to get your way. Bitochen means that whatever happens, you know what's going to Hold that thought. Hold that thought. It's exactly the core of this Sikha. It's exactly what the Sikha is dealing with. But hold on. But the Rebbe's question right now is, one second. There is a camp of commentaries that say, don't learn from Yaakov, don't learn from Moshe, because they should have had trust. Why? You could have trust in Hashem and still believe, <coughs> excuse me, that you don't deserve it. Therefore, it may, it may go sideways, it may go bad. The truth is, he says, this question is about Bitochen in general, which is a mitzvah. The, the meaning of Bitochen is not just that I believe that Hashem has the ability to do good and to, to save me from this, uh, from, from this distress. Bitochen simply means, you would think, right? Hold on. This is the beginning of this journey. You would think Bitochen means not just like Emunah that Hashem could make it good. Hashem could save me. Hashem could bring you know, the, 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 the salvation that we need. Bitochen means that I trust that Hashem will do this. Shadavar vaday etzloi, that this thing is so certain, to the point that he is so calm, um, it's like so, huh? so relaxed, like complete Complete serenity. That's a good one. Complete serenity. The He's not worried at all. That's the that would you would think that's uh, that's bitachin. Ukumavur bechayvas halavaves, as it says in chayvas halavaves, which is shara bitachin, right? Or which is specifically in shara bitachin. She and it's a quote from the beginning of shara bitachin. Shemuhosa bitachin. The essence of bitachin, who is menuchas nefesh abeteach. How do you identify bitachin? Bitachin is identified by. One of the traits of Bitochen, one of the symptoms of Bitochen is serenity. Complete serenity. That his heart is trusting that his heart relies on the one that he trusts that that one that he trusts will do good and proper um, 
in the area that he is trusting him to do. There's a lot of pronouns there, right? That, so the truster, truster is trusting the trustee, the one who's trusting, <laughs> that the trustee will do what the truster is trusting the trustee to do. <laughs> again, that's what you think bitachin means. And that's, again, the, a quote straight from Chavis Alvavis from Shar Bitachin. The so what does? The huh? The commentary, right, right. Commentary. It's like, what does that mean? Right. So, but but this is at first at first glance, this is what bitachin means. Bitachin means that you believe that it's going to be good. You have full faith to the point that you are resting well at night because you believe it's going to be good. It's our beer. <laughs> the Rebbe says the whole bitachin makes no sense. We're about to blow up bitachin. He says, he says. He calls it a mitzvah. Now, I don't know if it's counted as one of the 613. See, there's, there are thousands. But it's also very important to remember. There are thousands of... It depends. It's all semantics right now. Because when you ask if it's a mitzvah, you may be asking, is it one of the 613? And I'm going to say it's a mitzvah, but there are many mitzvahs that are not part of the 613. It says here that it is. And I, I remember learning it, footnote 30, that it's the mitzvah when you go to war, actually, that you have to have trust. That's where it comes from. That still doesn't mean it's one of the six. Right. right. It's still not itself. It's one of the six. Anything that Hashem commands, <coughs> don't be afraid or whatever. The, prob- the, problem the, the problem that all the Mepharshim deal with is the fact that the Gemara says there's only 613. And yet when you look through Torah, there are literally thousands, if not tens of thousands, of, of, oh, of detailed yeah. mitzvahs. Rambam so, yeah, counts it. Rambam counts it as private of Correct. 58. Good. So you have mitzvahs that are counted, mitzvahs that are not counted. Rambam counts this one. Yeah. Others may not count this one. But either way, it's definitely a mitzvah. We're definitely commanded. Okay. Bata Hashem. Say, how crazy is it that the mitzvah of Bitaqin is specifically about going out to war? Mm. Like that's where the mitzvah comes from. So when you go out to war, do not fear them. I guess Hashem knew that that would be a time when we would panic. Yeah. Right? Who would have thought? Who would have thought? No panic here. Um, Okay. Also, the teachers about the other stuff. This teaches how about like Hashem is placing this mitzvah dafka in the war because it's normal to panic during the war. Right. That's when you need it. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) When you go out to war, do you not fear them? Like, it's just crazy to think that, like... Yeah, here, here we are. So, the Rebbe is about to ask a question to potentially blow up Yitachin. And by the way, he will kind of blow up Yitachin and then put it back together again in an incredible way. But Tzarek Bir, as the Rebbe does always, right, blows up the prior understanding, shows where it hits a wall, where it just can't go further, and then reconstructs it. What is the foundation of Bitachin? Like, where does that come from? It's like, I trust completely that it will be good. Who said? Because even if Hashem told you directly, gave you a promise, it's possible that it might not happen because maybe you messed up. How much more so when you don't have an explicit um, uh, instru- or promise from Hashem. And this concern of maybe I messed up and therefore not deserving of this blessing, everyone can feel that. 
If Yaakov Avinu thought maybe he wasn't deserving of Hashem's promise, how much more so you and I? And if you and I, and, and he got a direct promise, and he was still concerned maybe he wasn't deserving. So how much more so us, who are not on the level of Yaakov, never got a direct promise, why should we be certain? What is Bitachin? Bitachin is, I am so sure it's going to be good. This is going to be good. It's going to end well. I know it. I Bitachin. What? What's what's the basis of? The Rebbe asks, what's the basis of that? Because Hashem could do it. That's a Muna. That Hashem will do it. How do you know? Because Hashem is good. Yeah, Hashem is good. But have I been good? I, I don't know. So how do we? What's the what's the basis? I'll be talking. So the Rebbe says in Gimel. Well, maybe we can back be talking back a little bit. Back back. Back it up. Back it up. Let's back up be talking. Maybe we're not going to stick with this. Now, you might have said the following. Bitochen is founded upon Emunah. You cannot be talking without Emunah. That's the Aleph Beis Gimel, right? You got to have Aleph before Beis. Emunah comes first and then Bitochen. So Bitochen is layer on top of Emunah. When a person is found in a distressful situation, Ain't distressing situation. Ain't zem ipnei sheishlitachas v'shalom l'misha meitzar loy be'eza oifin shehu. It's not that it's because that thing, that person, or that situation has power in any way. Rakakolam enashamayim. The Amuna says everything is coming from Hashem. That's Amuna. It's not bitachin. Amuna is Hashem is in control. Uvemela hu b'menucha gemura. And therefore, because the person has Amuna. That Hashem runs the world, therefore he is or she is in complete serenity. Because either way, if nothing bad's going to happen, in other words, if it works out okay, then sorry, if the person is not deserving of anything negative, <coughs> excuse me, so Hashem will save him or her from this problem. Turn the page, page nine. We're skipping brackets and parentheses. And if, on the other hand, a person is not deserving of the chesed, he could still be at rest in a state of serenity. Because a person knows that the bad is not coming from whatever is the bad actor in this uh, in this situation. It's coming from Hashem directly. Person did not hold upkeep their end of the bargain. Have you? But and that's why they're placed in this uh, in this situation. So therefore, all this is happening from Hashem. In other words, the Rebbe says, "How about we explain bitachin as follows? Bitachin does not mean, just to be very clear, this is a possibility. He's not saying definitively. He says there's a possibility of understanding bitachin. Bitachin doesn't mean that I know or I trust it's going to be good. Bitachin means I trust. I know." That whatever happens is Hashem. And therefore, if it's good, great. If it's not good, all right, I needed a lesson. But either way, I'm not stressed about it. Because I know that Hashem and His infinite kindness and infinite wisdom is orchestrating it for my benefit, whether for the good or for the correction. Right? If it's not good, it's a wake-up call or whatever it is for me. It's a lesson that I need to learn. So either way, I'm b'menucha. Why? I'm not stressed. Stress is fighting the reality. 
I'm no longer fighting the reality. I'm embracing it because if it's coming from Hashem, then that means it's part of my story. So I'm embracing it. Does that make sense? According to this definition of Bitachim, Bitachim does not mean that I trust that it will be good. It means I trust that it's from Hashem and therefore that's good enough, good enough for me. But did you just say that it could be like a punishment? Yeah, I don't deserve it. Therefore, it's not coming to me. And therefore, if I'm wondering why it's not coming to me, maybe it's a wake-up call. I can't say that about anybody else. I can say that for myself. I can learn from this experience. And that's, and that's the message, or that's, you know, that's why it's happening, and that's, uh, that's something I remember, that I can learn. I received in the parentheses that the Rebbe does actually say it, that even the punishments of terror from Hashem's kindness, because maybe I needed to be cleansed from something. Yeah. Reason, you put a reason to it? Sorry? Is, is it like you put a reason to why you got this thing? It's, you're basically contextualizing. You're saying that this is not random. It's not, again, I think it's important to understand the difference between serenity and stress. Stress means that I am fighting the situation. I'm fighting the reality in front of me. Like, I don't want this, so I'm fighting it. This situation of bitachin would mean that I trust that it's from Hashem, and Hashem knows exactly what needs to happen and whatever, and therefore, I'm not fighting it. I'm surrendered to it. I'm surrendered to this situation and therefore I'm in a state of menucha. Not in menucha because I know it's going to be good, but menucha because I know it's from Hashem. And that itself leads me to a state of menucha. This is a new attempt. Sorry. This is an attempt to redefine bitachin. Bitachin not that I trust it will be good. Bitachin means I trust that it's from Hashem and therefore I surrender. In a good way. I let go. It's Hashem. That's the lower level, right? Of what? Of the I don't know. Well, he's going to debunk this soon. Right. All right. Now, move on. says We have no. We, we don't have a contradiction anymore. A person can have complete bitachin in Hashem. And still, he he might believe that he might not be saved. In other words, bitachin doesn't mean it's going to be good. Bitachin means Hashem's got it. Hold, we're not going to stick with this. Don't worry. Okay. Don't worry. I hear what you're saying. You know, it comes from Hashem. If you believe, but so, so we have to go a little bit deeper in this. So if we believe that Hashem really loves us. And that if anything bad were to happen, and I almost air quoted that, but if anything bad happens, it's only our perception, but Hashem knows that it's for a benefit as a correction or whatever corrective tool. It's like, imagine, so like with parenting, so you have a child and you have to, you know, sometimes redirect the child and the child doesn't want to be redirected, you know, like, oh, like let's do homework or whatever it is. The child says, no, I want to, whatever it is, I want to play basketball outside. And not recalling my evening tonight whatsoever. So for the child, it feels like a punishment or painful, potentially. And for the parent, it's like, this is what we need to do now. This is what you need to do now. This is part of your, the next step of your growth. So a person, if a person is really surrendered to Hashem's knowledge and kindness, etc., a person can believe that whatever happens, Hashem knows it's for the best. Does that mean it's going to be good for my definition of good? No. It might not be, <coughs> but it's going to be what I need. I know your question. Your question is, but can't you still be scared? 
right. of that? And the answer is yes. However, if you're really locked into that, that perspective, that Hashem is good, so then even though on one hand it feels painful, it's, it's kind of like the pain without the suffering, right? Pain is the actual experience of pain, and the suffering is, why does this happen? I remember when Shimona actually spoke about that. She gave a talk at one of our dinners. She gave one of the, one of the most fantastic talks. It's one of the only talks by our dinners that I don't have recorded. For whatever reason, the recording didn't, didn't happen. Um, she spoke about... You guys know Shimona Tsukarnik? Yeah. Do you know her story a little bit? Do you know she was engaged to be married? And her fiancé um, died in a car accident like a few weeks before the wedding. Oh, he was. He was Jewish. No, 100%. Yeah. He was in Europe, I think, right? Died, yeah, died in a car accident. It's a free car accident. And she, to her, her life was over. They had an apartment. It was being furnished. She had plans. She had invitations. Everything was, she had her life. And now her husband, her fiancé died, was killed in this car accident. Huh? You said it's in London? I think he died. I think he passed away in somewhere in, in Europe. He was, he was traveling through Europe or whatever. Anyway, she's from South Africa. So, um... What's the point? The point is that she, her life was, she like didn't want to get out of, like, she didn't want to live anymore. And she talked about how she, you know, re-embraced life. And part of that was the differentiate between pain and suffering. Pain is the loss. Suffering is holding on to the, the, the reality that you wanted to have. In other words, the dissonance, the gap between where you are and where you wanted to be Hey, that gap, if you hold, sorry, if you hold on, it's like a rubber band. What creates tension? I'm pulling the two sides apart. So if I'm here and I'm still holding on to what I wanted over here and I'm not letting go, that creates tension. Do you think that something extreme has to happen in someone's life for them to reach that level? Because I feel like we always hear talks from people who went through something so extreme. And then on the day-to-day, we try to apply it. But unfortunately, it takes extreme things for us to really... Um, uh, that's a good question. I don't know. I don't know. I think it's... Um, I think we could spare Hashem. We would just learn it from other people than waiting for ourselves to have it. In yeah. theory. In theory, but you're going to No, the point... Right. I mean, yeah. I think oftentimes we learn from, from you know, when... Yeah, Kaslamar. When, when, when we were squeezed, we get the lesson. But anyway, the point over here is that um, this understanding of bitachin is not that everything's going to be good, but that everything is from Hashem. And therefore, I'm letting go, I'm surrendering. I'm letting go of my idea of what good is and embracing Hashem's good. Does that make it not painful? It might still be painful, but, it's, but I'm not suffering. In other words, I'm not stressed about it. I'm letting go, I'm surrendering to the situation. Okay. Umash akasvu. Sorry? I want to know the end of the story. All right, and that was, that was part of her uh, her healing, um, where she embraced the reality. She could hold on to her wedding invitation, hold on to you know her her I, what she wanted out of life, but if she kept on holding on to that and never moved on, she would be stuck in the suffering. So at some point, she had to let go of what she dreamed of, the life that she had dreamed of, to embrace the life that she had. There's a famous quote, acceptance is the answer to all your problems today. Yeah. Right. 
And all you need to do is accept that teaching. Umasha Kasfu, Hamafarshim, last paragraph of uh, of Gimel. Yeah. If you were just saying to accept Hashem, but is it okay to say like I accept Hashem that whatever His will is is good? Yeah. 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 I think I think that's part of it. In other words, no, you weren't. You were just saying like. I'm not expecting good, I'm just expecting whatever I will. In other words, I'm letting go of my notion. Like, I, what, what would be good for me would be this blessing. Like, that, that's what I want. So, to me, that's what I define as good. But bitachan means that I trust that Hashem knows what needs to happen. And therefore, whatever that is, knows what's best for me, knows the lesson that I need to learn or the, 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 the life that I need to experience in this moment. And so, whatever comes... I trust that Hashem's got this, and I, I can be I can I can sleep well at night knowing that Hashem has got this. That's the idea. That's again, we're not settling with this, but this is the current idea. I the Mefarshim say that Yaakov and Moshe should not have been afraid. This is like a technical thing because it seems like they were afraid from. Esav and from Oig, the Yaakov Hayyarim Esav, Kameshkaz Vayir Yaakov Oig, it's a level of him, Vayakat Saam, Kibamashat here, Isai. He was afraid of him, of Oig, Vayir Zem, Zumayr Shahaz of Hashem, Sabitakam Hashbarku. This fear shows that they were lacking in trust in Hashem, that Hashem's got it. You don't have to worry about Esav, you don't have to worry about Oig. There's no Esav and there's no Oig. If you'll be talking to Hashem, predicated on Amuna, if you believe that Hashem runs the world, and therefore Hashem <coughs> is sending everything your way, if that's your belief set, um, then there's no Esav, there's no Oig, there's no war, not, nothing else exists. It's Abish, it's Hashem, whether it's, whether it's going to work out the way I would script it, whether it's not going to work out the way I would script it, it's the way Hashem scripts it, and therefore, Amba Menucha. Dalit, Avil Aim, Birzem, Maspik. But this does not work. After all that, this is not Bitachin. Ki inyana shalmidis habitachin bepashtos, ene rak matzav de Menucha zanefesh. Because simply, on a simple level, bitachin doesn't just mean surrender. Doesn't just mean menuchas hanefesh that you can that you that you're in a state of serenity. Ella, rather, bitachin simply means shabeteach shiatoiv loy bitoiv hanira vanigla dafka. On a very simple understand, simple doesn't mean what well, we don't stick with. Simple on a literal level. Bitochen means I trust that it will be good for me the way I understand good, the way I perceive and experience good. That I believe not that Hashem will do what He wants, but I believe that Hashem will save me from my distress. In other words, you could have said, and we just said, maybe Bitochen means not that it's going to be good for me, but Hashem's got it. No, He says, that's not what Bitochen means. Bitochen means that I believe that it's going to be good. The way I understand good. No, we're going to skip this. And the next paragraph. And hold on. Okay, third paragraph on 10. And it says the following. Now, what is bitachin? Bitachin means that trusting in complete surrender. 
to the one, oh, sorry, sorry, that, that, no, sorry, that, that you have someone to trust who is the epitome of generosity and kindness, who will be generous and kind to the one who's deserving and the one who's undeserving. And that the kindness will flow and not end and not stop. Seems clear here that Bitachin means that I believe that even if I don't deserve, it will still be good. Huh? Yeah. He's supporting why we can't stick with the previous explanation. On a simple level, Bitochen doesn't just mean that Hashem's got this. Bitochen means that I believe, I trust, not believe, I trust, it's going to be good for me. I trust that Hashem's going to get me out of this problem or is going to deliver the blessing that I want. Not only is that the simple meaning of Bitochen, that's the one that's Chavis Lavavis says. Chavis Lavavis says that Bitochen means that I believe that Hashem, that the, I trust in the one that I'm trusting, that they are trusted to extend kindness even to one who's not deserving. Which means that I trust that no matter where I'm holding, Hashem will deliver. Because that's, that's how He is. He'll deliver the blessing even if I'm not worthy. Which then raised the question that we asked before that we've been struggling with. Even though Hashem could have compassion on one who's undeserving, but a person could get punished for what they do wrong. So again, going back to it, what is the foundation of Bitochen? That Hashem will do good even if He's undeserving. And this takes us to the big idea. So again, before we get to this big idea, it's just very important to go over very quickly, in 60 seconds or less, how we got here. We started off <coughs> by talking about fear. We have three people that were afraid. We have two people that were afraid. Moshe and Yaakov. Moshe is afraid when he hears that people know that he killed the, the Mitzri, he killed the Egyptian. He's very afraid. Okay, the Torah says that. We don't know why the Torah tells us about his fear. That was one open question. Next, we introduced Yaakov's fear about Esau, Moshe's fear later on in his life about Oig. And we said that according to one opinion of the Medrash, this was wrong. And we should not learn from that. We should not be afraid um, if we have Hashem's promise, and we don't even need Hashem's promise, we should trust that Hashem's got this. So Rebbe said, who says, Hashem's, who says Hashem's got this? Maybe Hashem has got this, but maybe we don't got this, or maybe we don't deserve the blessing. So the Rebbe says, okay, so maybe Bitochen doesn't mean that I trust it's going to be good. Bitochen means that I trust that Hashem will do whatever He wants. Good or not good for me, but it's good. It's all part of, the, part of His plan. Rebbe says you can't say that, because Bitochen on a very simple level, on a very, um, uh, you know, the pastor's means that I trust it'll be good. Number one. Number two, in Chavis Lavavis it says that Bitochen is, is, uh, um, is made up of the belief that Hashem will do good even if I'm undeserving. So how do we, how do we, how does that make sense? So we need to go deeper into Bitochen. And this takes us to Hey. Yuvan Zal Pidiri Rabbein Atzamat Tzedek. We'll understand all of this based on what the Semach Tzedek says. He was asked to daven for someone who was very sick. And he responded to this person, Think good and it will be good. 
which implies that trachtgut vetzaingut is almost like not a not a uh, correlation but a causation. It's not just think good or be good, but when you think good, then it will be good. The the the, the fact the good outcome will derive from the thinking good itself, which is essentially bitachin. Venir levar kavanas hadvarim, and we need to explain this. Or not we need to. The Rebbe says we can explain it as follows. Because the truth is, you could ask a bunch of questions on this. Thinking good makes it be good. Who says? What? Is this like some sort of new age, positive thinking, the secret, you know, karma, good vibes? Is that? Affirmations. affirmations. It's so funny. Like every, every 10 years, there's a new word for it. Yeah. Manifesting. Right. We're manifesting positivity. It will be good. Is that what this is? Sama said this like way ahead of his time. So the Rebbe explains as follows. Awesome. Uh, my question is the thing that happens, like he, he's sick. So that's essentially not good already. Right. It happened. What happened? Someone's sick. So you want the result of oh, someone's sick. sick. Right. Okay, right. Yeah. Uh, the point, the point is that when, you're in, when someone's in the sick, what does Bitafim look like? Does it look like, okay, Hashem wants me to be sick, I trust this is for the good, or is it Hashem wants me to be better because that's what good is for me? For and I want, I know Hashem is going to make me feel better. What if that person dies sick? Well, hold on, hold on, hold on. Now, now you're asking about oh, what do we do? Good. That's, uh, yeah. I was going to leave that one for you. That's correct. What about, what about the horrors? I, I, I'm with you. I don't know that we'll ever answer those questions. A lot of struggles that people go through, sometimes they live with them their whole life. Correct. Like, correct. Like, I have a classmate who, like, her family was literally, like, poor, poor, poor her whole life. And her father died a few years ago. And, like, she was telling me, like, a few months ago, like, my dad was poor his whole life. He died poor. He was poor. And he always trusted that Hashem would give him money. But, like, he never got it. So... I, I can't, I don't, in re, real life situations, I'm not, I can't weigh in on someone else's situation. But here's what we can say. I would modify a little bit what you said. Right? If someone is sick, God forbid. So the first option of Bitachin is, I trust that Hashem will do what Hashem will do, essentially. Hopefully it'll be good and I'll get healing, right? If not, Chas Shalom, it's also part of Hashem's plan for whatever reason. As whatever I need from that, I need to learn from that. Like it's acceptance. No, that exactly. Yeah, that could be one level of bitachin is that I trust that Hashem is going to answer in whatever way. And no. if that answer is no, maybe no, but I'll accept it and I'll embrace it and I'll surrender to it because that is that is what is deserving. <laughs> the second level of bitachin is no, I trust it's going to be good. I understand, by the way, just, I want to be very clear. I'm not glossing over the question. The question that's on the table that's, is what happens if you trust on the second level that it would be good and it doesn't turn out good? Then what? How is our trust not broken forever? That's a bigger question. That's for next time. I mean, I don't know. That's, that's, like, that's a bigger question. But right now, the second idea of talking is that I trust that it will be good. Now, the Rebbe says to understand how th- that I see it. And the, asked, and the Rebbe asked the question at the end that we just read before. What's the basis of that? What would be the basis of that second? Why would I believe that no matter what, I trust that it's going to be good the way I understand it? Based on what? 
based on what level of deservedness, based on what level of, of confidence do you have that trust? So the Rebbe says, this is, we can understand this when analyzing the phrase, The Rebbe says, let's explain this phrase. Third, whatever, the large paragraph, bottom of page 11. The obligation of Bitachan is not just a detail, uh, an outcome of a Muna, that Hashem is in control of everything, that Hashem is kind. Because if that's the case, you wouldn't need a separate commandment. You wouldn't need a, sec- a separate obligation of Bitachan. It would just be part of a Muna. This obligation of Bitachin is its own Avoidah. That a person, that the essence of Bitachin is that a person should rely, should trust, should lean on Hashem to the point that he casts his entire lot with Hashem. Cast your burdens upon Hashem. A person says, I have no one to trust or no one to rely on. I don't have any other savior, any other depend, um, um, salvation other than Hashem. One of the more strange passages, which I'm sure those of have studied have encountered, he says that Chavis says that Bitochen is like a servant or like a slave that is usher, that is bound up, that's tied up. Habar, who's in the dungeon, in the uh, under the authority of the master. Sounds wonderful. <laughs> Sounds lovely, right? Trust in Hashem, like the servant who's literally tied up in a dungeon. You kidding me? But what's the point? The point is that no one else can do good. No one else can do bad. You're in completely, you're surrendered completely under the control of one individual. The entire trust of the one who is tied up is on the master. He is literally given over to his hand. No one else can save him. No one else can harm him. Completely under the control of this individual. Vizek Gufa. Third paragraph, skipping the brackets. Really cool, if you listen to Shalomar Karabashkin's talk, he put like zero trust in the guards or anybody. That's what he's saying. He's saying, Bitochin is an avoida to literally remove the power from everything else and to put your power, not your power, to put the power over you and over everything into. Hashem's hand completely. And this itself is the foundation, is the reason to trust that it will be good in a way that you know will be good. Even if otherwise you're undeserving. Again, we ask the question, how could a person have the chutzpah to have be talking on that second level to say, my be talking is not just that Hashem will do what he wants or what he, what, we knows, what he knows should happen, but I trust that Hashem is going to do good the way I understand good. <laughs> That's who says, he says like this, even if the person, even if you, if the person otherwise does not deserve this chesed, the very fact that you have be talking and Hashem on this level, that itself is the avoida that generates that, that bracha. 
אין הפירוש בביטחון, שמיימן, שכיוון שחסתי השם הם בלי מדידו והגבלה. ביטחון does not mean that a person believes, again, אמונה, that since Hashem's chesed is unlimited, בין לרוי, בין למי שאין רוי, Hashem can extend kindness even to one who is undeserving. לכן הוא יקבל את חסדי השם בלי שם עבודה מצידוי. Therefore, I believe that Hashem could give even me, Hashem could give the bracha. אלא, that's not what ביטחון is. אלא ביטחון הוא עבודה ויגיע בנפשי. ביטחון is intense inner work. Intense work on the inside. והיא מביאה את חסדי השם and thus, this avoida, this incredibly powerful internal work, that itself generates the bracha as a result of that work. Through a person trusting in the depth of a soul in a truthful way, only on Hashem, it's not a game to say, I have bitachin. But a person really is in that space to the point that he doesn't worry at all about anything else. This itself causes that Hashem should, should, should um, direct to him or should act uh, with him in a way that is good for him, the way he understands good to be. Does that make sense? But do you think to some extent we're all in this level of Jutafen with what's going on in the world? The fact that we're still moving on with our life and we're still adding in, you know, for our apathetic. Um, it's a good question. I think we're striving for that. I think that I think the language that we're telling ourselves and others is it's going to like we're trusting. And as the Rebbe says, the, the, it's almost like, to use different, slightly different, this, the schar, <coughs> excuse me, the reward of that bitachin itself is the good that you want. In other words, it's not that Hashem, there's, there's three different levels. One level is, I believe that, I've, that I deserve this bracha, so I trust that I'm going to get the bracha. A little bit arrogant, a little presumptuous, okay? Someone who's a little bit more humble might say, I don't know if I'm deserving of it, but I trust that Hashem could do whatever He wants and give even a guy like me, give the bracha that I need. And if not, okay, then it's not meant to be. That's second level, which was the first level that we talked before about bitachin. First level is not bitachin, it's arrogant. Second level is the first level of bitachin. But the third level is to say the following. I may or may not be deserving it, that's one thing. But I trust only in Hashem. And I know Hashem is the only reality and I'm going to put my entire life in Hashem's hands. And if and when I do that, that itself, that avoid itself is what gets the person to that space to be deserving of the bracha that they're asking for. Which is an incredible idea. Trachtgut v'tzayngut is not just positive vibes. The avoid of trachtgut actually makes it good. Creates that reality. Is this, can I say that that's the reason Hashem makes us suffer? I don't know. That, that would be, I think, too much playing, playing God. Mm-hmm. But as an outcome of that, for us to do that, I think would be, I mean, that's, that's what the Rebbe is encouraging us to do. Top of 13. 
This is what it means when we're told to trust in Hashem. A person must cast his burden on Hashem and believe and trust that Hashem is going to do good for him in a way that he understands. And when a person relies only and solely on Hashem, then I'm thinking when a person relies only on Hashem, even when that makes no sense, because Hashem, sure, but Hamas. Person can block out everything else and only focus on Hashem, then Hashem focuses only on us and does what we need gives us what we need, not to look at any other factors that might compromise the bracha. That's what he's saying. And this is the meaning of the words of The trust itself brings the good outcome. It's not a side in your bitach. It's not like a, uh, it's not like auxiliary to bitachin. This is the, this is the very, Definition of bitachin. The definition of bitachin is to trust when all trust seems hopeless or, 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 or you know, it, it, when, it, when it doesn't seem possible to still trust in Hashem, that itself, that trust itself, real trust. It's not a meme. It's real trust. It's real, rely, it's real I really am relying on Hashem. That itself generates the bracha that we need, that we want. So what happens when you're really trusting and the outcome doesn't happen? I understand. Was, I know, I know. That's the question. There has to be an answer to that, or else, mm-hmm. like, you know what I mean? Why do bad things happen to you? Well, One second. Like, I have this thing question. where, like, right. since, like, high school, where I, like, won't say tell when people say tell them because it's so many times it didn't work. <laughs> but if right. somebody believes in it, it's like, hope or whatever, always that whole time. Yeah. Well, I don't have Like, for me, it's just, like, whatever, it's all happening. Right. But, like, I hope for the worst, so that way if it's better, then I won't feel bad. Right. <laughs> so I'm saying for someone who thinks positive, I'm like, can I? Says the Tehillim. They're like toiling in it. Like they're like hoping for it to turn out right. Can we say? Sure. I mean, look, this last, this, we have one more, one more piece. And this last piece, I think, Kyle, I think addresses, but not the way that we might be happy about. Kyle, could there, could we say? I'm just going to float it. Could we say that maybe? Ah, it's like so not nice to say. <laughs> Can we say that maybe our Bitachin wasn't 100%? No. We shouldn't Hashem, say that. Hashem, we, we know that we say, we ask Hashem, sometimes he says yes, sometimes he says no. no That's not Bitachin. One second. Could we maybe say if that Avram, I mean, Maisha, was promised well, directly. Hashem has to be good. some people who pass away, Hashem decided they're going to pass away. It's not because anyone did something wrong. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's true. So like, are you, everyone in the world is suffering with something, right? Right. So no one has Bitachin under control. You know, the Rebbe makes a very bold statement here. He says, if we have Bitachin, Bitachin itself generates a bracha. Not a general bracha, but the specific bracha that we need. He says a ge- good question. Good question. He said it seems to imply that it generates it directly. That's what he seems to imply. Does it generate directly or gives it the better chance? 
that's the See, most you could do. I'm, I'm with you. I'm with you. Like, you could say that. Seems like he's saying a little bit more more tighter connection. Whenever I hear things like, like this in general, I think of like Tanya and how we're not supposed to be as opposed to sound like what? Like, do we have the capacity to have the bitachin that is like I think, I think so. that would be control. A good example. Okay. Well, he's a good example because it worked out. That would be the counter argument. That would be the counter argument. It worked out for him. But the point is, is that Bitachan went and made absolutely zero sense when every resource was exhausted and it made zero sense and he was still like, I trust you. Not just that everything Hashem does for the You know what? I'm friends with his niece and her father was passing away and she had the same Urbashka Bitachan. I was just about to say, I was like, is it a family Look, look. I don't know if that's what the takeaway is. I, I also don't think. I, I think that we have. Right. I think there's more to learn. Okay. Let's do. Let's let's finish it off. We have one more ice. This is gonna. We have one more chapter. This is gonna bring it all home. All right. Love. Here we go. Al pianal. Okay. Al pianal yeshleimer. Basically, about we can say shezoyhi kavana sakasa parshasenu shemsapra yirase shemoshe kishishama meivri largeni goimer kasherat as hamitzri. This is the meaning of the pasuk. Tells the story of Moshe's fear. Right when Moshe heard the Jew say, "You're going to kill me like you killed the Mitzri," he was afraid. Lashmienu to tell us. You said her now this idea. This idea that bitachin itself brings the the bracha that itself. Is sorry that the idea that Bitachin brings the bracha and from the positive you can infer the negative. Here we go. The reason why a person is not blessed or is not saved from distress because he was lacking in his faith. That's what he says. Trust. Right. That's what the Pasuk tells us. That Moshe was afraid. That he says, indeed, it's been known. And immediately following this, he wanted to kill Moshe, and Moshe had to run away. Cave, what's the, what's the, uh, the Hemshachinam? What's the, the say there? What's the order of, of events in the story? Since Moshe was afraid, and he didn't trust that Hashem would not bring any negativity in his life. That itself created the reality that Pari heard, and he had to run away from Pari because he wanted to kill him. In other words, again, the Rebbe is saying, why is the Torah telling us about the emotional state of Moshe, that he was afraid? At the beginning of the Sikha, which I shared with you outside, we didn't do it inside, the Rebbe asked the question, why would, the, why would the Torah just tell us about that, that Moshe was afraid without there being any takeaway from this? He says, oh, there's no takeaway. There's a huge takeaway. The huge takeaway is, look at the power of positive or negative thinking, or bitachin versus not bitachin. When Moshe is afraid, what he's indicating is that, he's, that there's other forces that are in control and that you know something might happen, Para might find out, whatever it is. He's putting his faith, trust, or he's believing in something else. And that means he's not having 100% be talking that Hashem has got this and Hashem will make it good. And therefore, it does not turn out good for him, which means that Parah hears this. Um, the Parah heard this because. 
That's what he's saying. Yeah. That's yeah. what he's saying. Can I ask a question? Sure. Maybe I'm like not understanding it fully, but aren't we not supposed to think if we do if we do X, Y, and Z, Hashem's going to give us X, Y, and Z? Yeah. Aren't we not supposed to think about this? Because I like keep having this question. Yeah. Yeah. Correct. But the Rebbe is saying is that if we do have bitachin, then the schar, the reward for that avoid itself, is the blessing. Not that we're necessarily doing it to achieve the outcome. But that, that is the outcome. And if we don't have the bitachin, then the bracha may not come our way. That's what he's saying. It is very stressful. Right. Saying bitachin is, is, a, is not like a specific thing. It's a very, well, it is specific, but it's also very general. It's an overall approach. Now, let's, let, but let, he says a very, the Rebbe says it very clearly. If Moshe would have had tr- pure trust in Hashem, and he wouldn't have all been concerned or worried about the situation, that itself would have created the reality that it would have been forgotten. In other words, it would never have reached Pare. Um, and it would have been good for him in a revealed way. That's what the Rebbe says. So basically, his bitachin, or lack thereof, created a reality. The reality that he created was one in which the blessing did not manifest, or, or where Pari hears it, wants to kill him, and he has to run away. The negativity follows the lack of bitachin. So here the Rebbe ties it up uh, with the final lesson, and then, of course, there's a lot to unpack. From here, we learn a lesson in Maisa Bapayal, actual, real life. When a person encounters an obstacle in his uh, in, in, in observing Tehra Mitzvahs, Allah of Ladas, he has to know. That the removal of the obstacles is completely dependent on him and his behavior. If he has full trust in Hashem, he trusts that Hashem will help, that it will be good. To the point, what does this look like? That he has complete menucha, complete um, serenity. He's not worried at all. That's the extent of the bitachin. We've been promised, think good, and it will be good. It will be so in actuality. All of the obstacles will be, will evaporate, will disappear. It will be good, literally. In a way that he or she understands it as being good. To our physical eyes. The Rebbe is really spelling it out. It's not theoretically it's good, or one day it will be good, or it's good for your soul, but not for your butt. Good, good, good. The way you see good. What stirs the bracha? What creates, what's the catalyst for that bracha of good that we see as good? It's pure bitachin and Hashem. But bitachin doesn't mean that I say I believe, but internally panicked. It means that I'm completely, and by the way, I'm saying this. I'm not saying I'm there. I'm just trying to convey the Rebbe's teaching, right? This is not, so just to just so understand, this is not a judgmental statement. This is a, is trying to convey the sicha. The Rebbe is saying, if we have bitachin, what is bitachin? Bitachin means a complete 
reliance on Hashem, not in the first way we said, that Hashem might do something good or something not good. Whatever that is, though, it's Hashem. No, bitachon means that I trust that it will be good, the way I understand good. I completely rely on Hashem. Then, he says, it will be good, in the way that we understand. Ukashem. And just like with regards to the Exodus, it says that in the merit of their bitachin, they were redeemed. So too in the gula of this final exile, we are worthy of gula of redemption for the, in the merit of our anticipation of the redemption, the bitachin. So it should be for us. That um, in the merit of the, of our bitachin, that indeed the redemption is about to come. We merit that Hashem will redeem us. The coming of Mashiach may be speedily in our days. Let us say, Amen. Amen.